Come on, church, let me hear you praise the name of the Lord. He is worthy of your voice. He's worthy of your clap. He's worthy of your life. Father, we love you today. And we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you're obviously going to do in this day. Father, we thank you that we can rise up today and praise you in the land of the free. God, the Bible says in Psalm 113 that from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, the name of the Lord shall be praised. So God, I thank you for these trophies of your grace who have gathered to praise you, to worship you, to honor you, to celebrate you. Father, we thank you for all of our campuses who are connected with us right now. Would your Holy Spirit rain down upon us all? Would you be exalted in what we say and what we do? Father, would you take our minds and would you think through them? Take our hearts, oh God, and would you fill with them? Lord Jesus, as I often pray, I know it's a bold, audacious prayer, but would you take my lips and speak through them today? For if you do not speak, then absolutely nothing of any significance will have been spoken. Speak, for your servants are listening. We pray it all in Jesus' name. And the New Hope people of God said together, Amen. Amen. Come on, celebrate it one more time and welcome all the campuses. You may be seated. Man, you people are singing today. Wow. Glad you are here. Um, just real quickly, uh, a week from today, this, this uh, thing is going on, a little, little thing, kind of the Super Bowl of, uh, of, of Christianity. It's called Easter, right? Easter. And so, you know, pick your celebration. We got all kinds of celebrations at all of the different campuses. Um, we've got a sunrise service at, uh, on Sunday morning at 630 for Durham, Garner, and Sanford. How many of you have never been to a sunrise service? All right, quite a few of you. You ought to give it a try. How many of you, like, you haven't seen 6.30 in the morning in years? <laughs> yeah, so you might want to give it a try. It's, it's, we're going to have Holy Communion. It's always an incredible experience. But you, what I just want to say to the Durham folks is that if there's any way you can come on Saturday, maybe here's an idea for you. Come on Saturday at 4 p.m., and then maybe show up at the sunrise service and have Holy Communion outside in the parking lot with the sun rising up. And that will create a little more margin at the 8.30 and 10.30. You come to whatever celebration you desire. But if you can try to leave this 10.30 one open, that is the most optimal hour. And we will be slammed on that day. Um, hey, a lot of times when we get close to the end of a series, which uh, Wrecked and Redeemed ends on Easter Sunday, the series that we're doing right after that is called Assassins. Well... It's assassins. And uh, you, can you read these words around here? Here's what I have come to believe, especially in the last five, 10 years. I've really been thinking about this a lot. IQ used to be heralded as the most important thing. What's your IQ? How smart are you? I've decided that our emotional intelligence will make or break you in life. 
I've, it, it, listen, guys, so we're going to actually look at those things that will take you out. These are the, the most popular emotions that tend to take people out. So we're going to look at things like pride and fear and envy and bitterness. Assassins starts the week after Easter. And then, hey, go ahead and open up your app. I haven't mentioned this in a while because I knew it needed a lot of work to be done. But I just want to let you know, our new app, brand new this week, is awesome. Go to the app store, put my name or the church name in. You'll pull up the app. They've redone it. Can we just honor those in that department of the church that's helping us redeem technology and social work. This is an amazing new app. The notes are there so you can take notes on the message if you would rather do it that way than with the notes that you have in front of you. Today, I want to talk to you about a subject for which I am most passionate. And you might be thinking, well, dude, you're always passionate. I know. <laughs> I know. But this one would be like, you got the gospel and the beauty of the glorious gospel. And then this is a subject matter for which I am most passionate. I'm getting a lot of questions these days. Hey, pastor, when are you going to write another book? And the reality is I have no desire to write another book for a long time. I might not ever write another book, but if I do, the subject matter that I'm going to speak to you about today would be the subject matter of the book. And I'm talking about the subject matter of racial reconciliation. This is one that is deep in me. I was born and raised in Sumter, South Carolina. I'm talking about the deep South. Even to this day, I'm so embarrassed to let you know that there are still KKK outposts in and around my hometown in 2019. This is a subject that I grew up around and it's a subject that I knew immediately that there was something so wrong with it that I couldn't even put words to it. I wasn't even a Christian. But I knew early on that not only is racism a sin, church, it's demonic. And I was thinking this week, I'm gonna share a story with you that I've, I've never shared publicly until this day. Um, I, was, I was in the fifth grade at Millwood Elementary School in Sumter, South Carolina. And I was sitting about five or six seats back. And on this row, I'm, I'm in this row, but on this row, about two seats up, I was kind of catty corner to, kind of 45 degree angle adjacent to a girl in my class whose name was Samantha Brunson. And here I was in the fifth grade and the teacher, the teacher was up front. She was sitting in her desk. To this day, I don't know what in the world she was doing. But all of a sudden, I started seeing this group of kids start to pick on fifth grader Samantha Brunson. And Samantha was an African-American girl and she was sitting there. She, she was that, that person, you know, that tended to get bullied around, unfortunately. But on this particular day, something, something went to the next level. And the kids around her, again, I'm back here watching this all go down. About four or five kids around Samantha started calling her names. And they started ridiculing her and they started picking on her and she tried to get them to stop and they kept doing it. And I remember looking up at the teacher in my little fifth grade mind thinking, what are you doing? Don't you think you ought to stop this? 
And then they started throwing pencils at her. And I watched Samantha Brunson in that moment put her head down on her desk. And I saw her, her body start convulsing a little bit. You could tell she was crying and they just kept going at her. And the more upset she got, the more they kept going at her. And then all of a sudden, in a moment that again, I, I don't think I've ever shared this publicly, we saw Samantha Brunson wet herself on the floor of that fifth grade classroom. And again, I'm thinking, teacher, what, what are you doing? And ended up, Samantha ended up getting up and walking out of the class. And I don't know that I can quite put into words how it impacted me. But I will tell you, and again, you know this about me. I didn't grow up in the church at all. I didn't know anything about God or Jesus Christ or anything like that until the age of 18. But something happened inside of me that day. And I knew that this, this issue of racism was evil. It it's demonic. And I want to just talk to you about that a little bit today. Racism is so deeply ingrained in the heartbeat of America that I put it like this in the book. Maybe you saw this quote. Racism is so intrinsically American. Now put your thinking cap on. You got to kind of just think about this for a moment. Racism is so intrinsically American in other words, for large swaths of humanity in America, to be an American is to be racist in many ways. Racism is so intrinsically American, the moment God's people take a stand against it, this has happened to me, by the way, at that very moment, some people deem us un-American or unpatriotic. Racism in America is nothing new. In fact, I have often referred to it as the original sin of America. You know about the original sin? It goes all the way back to the book of Genesis and creation. I believe America's original sin is actually racism. And I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but America, from a global perspective, is more racially diverse than any other country on the land. It's racially diverse. However, the racism that has continued to permeate the very fabric of America actually has caused our great country to be full of tension, to be full of heartache, to be full of all kinds of systemic injustices. Racial divide in America still to this day, the American church is still over 90% segregated. Did you know this? Like, at New Hope, we can have a tendency to forget that. I mean, look around at us. Look around. Stop looking at me for a moment. Look around. Is there anybody else excited to be in a church that fully represents God's? Yeah. We can take this for granted, but what's unfortunate, and it's so unfortunate, is that this is not normal. The American church today is still over 90% segregated. Watch this. The American church is 10 times more segregated than the communities in which they are located. So as America changes and the face of America changes, you've seen the demographics, it's changing drastically. The church, I'm not proud of this. I'm actually very saddened about this. The church is lagging behind. We're 10 times more segregated than the communities 
in which our churches in America are located. Watch this. Think about the school system. The American church is 20 times more segregated than the schools they are located near. How has the church missed this? When the good book that you study and I study and the, the book on which Christianity is founded is crystal clear that racism and systemic injustices and everything else is contrary, antagonistic to the heartbeat of God. How have we missed it? Open up your Bibles to John chapter 17. John 17, here's a perfect example. Scholars often refer to this particular passage as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. The reason they call it that is because in John 17, you know you've been studying the gospel with me. By now, Jesus has fixed his eyes on the cross. He's heading towards Jerusalem where he is going to die a sinner's death for you and me. He's gonna pay a sin debt that we could not pay. As Jesus gets closer and closer to Jerusalem, we have this seminal passage in the Gospel of John. Again, scholars call it the high priestly prayer because in this passage, we're actually able to eavesdrop on what Jesus prays. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not. You can tell a lot about a person by the way they pray. And in this unbelievable instance in Scripture, we actually get to listen in on Jesus's most intimate prayer with his father. And this is what he prays. There's three parts to his prayer. The first part, Jesus prays that, that the father would continue to glorify him. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you for you granted him authority over all people. Jesus has authority over all people. Can I get an Amen. Now this is eternal life that they know you. Verse three, the only true God, Jesus Christ, as we looked at last week, John 14, six, the only true God. Can I get another amen? amen. Then, then the passage shifts a little bit and Jesus starts to pray for his disciples, those who were with him right there in that moment. And so the Bible says in verse 13, I'm coming to you. Now, talking to the Father, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them. Listen, church, when we start to take stands on these kinds of issues that I'm talking about today, we should pray for one another. I hope you pray for me. Now, skip down to verse 20. So first, Jesus prays, that the Father would continue to glorify him. Then Jesus prays for those around him. And this, is, this will blow your mind. Then he prays for you. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays for future believers. Have you ever pondered this for a moment? 2,000 years ago, Jesus prayed for you. He prayed for those who would believe one day. That's you, that's me. And here's what he says. Why don't you read it out loud with me? Ready? All together, all of our campuses, Go. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. Let's continue. That all of them may be one. All of them may be what? One. Do you see it? Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Let's continue. 
May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, don't miss this. Jesus is saying, to the extent to which we can live together in peace and love, to the extent to which future believers can be one, is the extent to which his message is credible. The stakes are that Hi, you're sounding great. Let's continue. I have given them for the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. There it is again. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete. To complete what? Do you see it? That they would be one. That they would be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Let's continue. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Let the people of God say, thanks be to God. It's the word of God. And in this unbelievable priestly prayer of Jesus, he's saying, my desire is that they would be one. My desire is that they would be unified. Jesus is now fully fixed on the cross. He's getting the most important stuff out to his people. You see, church, as I've often said, and we've got to get to the point where we realize this, racism is not a skin problem. Racism is a sin problem. Sin straight from the pits of hell. It is a demonic force that Satan has used to wreak havoc on the church. And yet it's the very thing that our Lord and Savior prayed from moment one that we would overcome. And yet again, how? How has the church missed this? If the Samantha Brunson story impacted me so deeply as a fifth grader, nothing impacted me as deeply as what went down in Charleston, South Carolina a few years ago. My old stomping grounds. Let me take you there. Welcome to Charleston, South Carolina. We're standing in front of Mother Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church. Maybe you remember what happened, maybe you don't, but the moment I start talking about it, you will remember. I'm talking about the day that a one such Dylan Roof walked into the doors of the church right behind me, sat down in the circle, listened to the pastor teach the Bible study, 
And at the end of the Bible study, as most pastors will do, Reverend Clemente said, let's pray. And he bowed his head and led those eight folks in prayer. And as he did, Dylan Roof pulled out a gun, shot him and killed the other eight. Nothing has brought me to my knees quite like those events. I grew up coming to Charleston, South Carolina. My grandparents are from here. And so this place is sacred ground to me. And I'm here today to continue to bring this topic before us. It was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who, by the way, preached at this church, who said the most segregated hour of the week is Sunday morning. How has the church missed the message of Jesus on racial reconciliation, on living as one? Not too long ago, I was able to come back to this church. I brought a love offering on behalf of New Hope Church, nine different love offerings, if you will, for the nine folks that were brutally murdered that day. I attended that day and they asked me to do a little preaching and the church was packed to the rafters, there's a balcony and on both levels it was packed. All kinds of news companies were there. It was the one year anniversary of this horrible crime. They invited me forward and they gave me a microphone and I was already deeply moved by the events and I was deeply moved by the worship up to that point. And so I started teaching. I went to Ephesians chapter one. And in Ephesians chapter one, God says that he has predestined us to become adopted children of the most high God. I got into Ephesians chapter two where Paul says to the church at Ephesus that God has taken the two humanities. He was talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. He's taken those two who were hostile to one another. And in and through the cross of Jesus, he has broken down the dividing wall, the barrier that separates us and has created this new humanity called the church. Now, if you know anything about me, you know that this is a subject that is most dear to my heart. I bleed this call from God to lead a movement of reconciliation. But this shouldn't impact you because it's important to me. This should impact you because this is important to the heartbeat of God. Our credibility, our witness, Jesus says this in John 17, his credibility is directly related to the extent to which we learn to live together as one humanity or we don't. And if we don't, if we let racism continue to permeate the fabric of humanity, we are hindering, we are hurting the witness of Almighty God in the world. We are damaging the credibility of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's that important that the church rise up and stand against racism. And what would it look like for every single person who considers New Hope their church home to realize that this is God's unique calling upon us. This is God's unique vision that New Hope would actually continue to rise up 
and be a beacon of faith, hope, and love that would say to those in the Carolinas and beyond, this is possible. We can live together in unity. We can live together in love. And what would it look like if it just didn't take place on Sunday, but that on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, in the mornings and lunch and dinner and in our homes and in restaurants, we actually became a multi-ethnic people. We've got Sundays pretty good, but it's time that we start actually doing life with folks who are different than us, valuing our differences, valuing our cultures, learning from one another. It's time that our life groups become far more diverse. I know we have many of them. And in fact, the title of this chapter in my book, Wrecked and Redeemed, Unified Diversity, actually came from one of our life groups. That's what they call themselves. But what would it look like for us to be a people? Again, not just on Sunday, but throughout the week. A people who actually love and value this unified diversity. I, I wish you could have been with me in Charleston when I went um, and took a love offering on, on your behalf. I, I went in and church was packed. Um, I was one of very few white people in the church that day. There were news stations, CNN, NBC, ABC, all the main ones were there. But my family, my wife was with me and, and a few of our kids. And we were in there and, and the pastor heard that, that I was coming. And so he called me up front. And um, he, I was fired up just, just to be there. The South Carolina was getting ready to pull the Confederate flag off of the state grounds, and I was very much in solidarity with that movement. And so he handed me a microphone, and, and that might have been his greatest mistake because <laughs> I started preaching. And uh, again, it has a balcony kind of like ours, but the balcony comes way down so that when you're teaching, the balcony comes all the way beside you right here, not nearly as big as this, about maybe half this size. And I get to going and, and I look at the pastor at one point in time and he said, go ahead. <laughs> so I said, all right. And I kept, I kept slinging it and bringing it and the spirit of God took over, but I knew that I needed to stop. I knew I needed to stop. When about, I don't know, 10 minutes in or so, right up over the balcony, there was this woman and she was hanging over the balcony. African-American woman was hanging. She had her hand back here holding the balcony. So her body was hanging over. She was looking right down at me. She said, you preach, white boy. <laughs> I'm like, I will. See, that's the beauty of the black church. The black church knows how to spur a pastor on. Sometimes I wonder where my black folk are up in here. Oh, I see them now. They're there now. I've already told you before, there's a difference between black and white people. When, when a white preacher starts sweating, white people get nervous. When a preacher starts sweating, black people's like, he's preaching now. He's preaching. He's, he's bringing it now. It's like we pay him. He needs to sweat while he's up there. In, <laughs> I don't know where all that came from. 
And in the time that I have left, here's what I wanna do. I wanna just talk to you about some application. And I wanna give you five points of application and I'm gonna move quickly. And you can open your Bible to Ephesians 2 and 3 if you want. That's the text that I just looked at in the video. It's where, it's where Paul starts to unpack what Jesus prayed for in John 17. And Paul basically says, there's this dividing wall of hostility between the two groups. And he's talking about Jews or Gentiles. And I just want you to know that what I'm talking about today, it doesn't matter if, if we're talking about white and black or brown or yellow or orange, any, any groups of people that tend to look down on somebody else because, think about how stupid this is, because of the pigmentation in one's skin. We start measuring and judging and grading people. And so what I wanna do today is I just wanna give points of application because here's what I think. You're here, one of the reasons you're here is because you love the fact that God has grown a multi-ethnic church. If you're new here and you don't like that, like you wanna be involved in the 90% of the other churches that are out there, this is who we are. And so I don't need to take a lot of time preaching, I think, in terms of trying to convince you. It's kinda of like I'm preaching to the choir. Like most of you, you love this about New Hope Church. If you're with me, can I hear an amen? You love this about New Hope Church. If you don't love this about New Hope Church, bye-bye, Felicia. <laughs> Five points of application. Five points of application. Here, here's the first one. Do life with people who have different skin color than you. See, what, what I've come to believe is that you're here because you love multi-ethnic church on Sunday, right? You, you do. But here's my question to you. Do you do life with people who are different than you Monday through Saturday? In other words, I know you like to go to a multi-ethnic church, but do you live a multi-ethnic life? Pastors are asking me all the time these days because this is kind of what we've become known for in this area and abroad. This is kind of who we are. So pastors call and they email or they talk. Hey, how do you grow a multi-ethnic church? That's the question I get a lot. And you wanna know the first things I ask the pastor? Are you living a multi-ethnic life? Do you hang out with people who have different skin color than you? When your kids have birthday parties, Do you see a multi-ethnic gathering of kids at your house? Do you have folks who are different than you spending the night in your home? Breaking bread at your table. Again, I know you love a diverse church. But I believe the next level for us, the next calling for us, and I know so many of you are already doing this, I know, but I still think this is the area where there's room for improvement. Are we living multi-ethnic lives? Number two, moving on quickly. Monitor your mouth. Oh, Lord. Preach, preacher. 
Notice I didn't say shut your mouth. (laughs) Monitor your mouth. Because the reason I don't say shut your mouth is because I find that a lot of people do do that. When it comes to this issue, you know this is a a deep issue. You know it's a problem in America. You know it's against the heartbeat of God. But a lot of people don't say anything because guess what? We need to be gracious with them. They don't know what to say. And they're scared. I see a lot of heads shaking. A lot of people want to speak to it, but they don't, they don't know what to say. And they're afraid if they say something wrong, someone's going to chew them up about it. And so they just don't say anything. No, no, no. Just monitor your mouth. Think, think before you speak. God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. When it comes to racial issues, we should tend to listen more than we speak. But for God's sake, speak. And speak the word of the Lord. And don't say this. There's one thing I, I want to say about this monitoring your mouth, and then we're going to move on. If I, if I have a pet peeve about this subject, don't worry. If you did this, I wouldn't, I wouldn't chew you out over it. That's not, again, we don't do that. So let me just go and say it up front so I don't have to think when you do say it, bless your heart. <laughs> don't say, I ain't a racist. I just, I don't see color. I'm colorblind. No, 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 don't, don't ever say that. See, when you say that, number one, you're lying. You see color. You see color. You might train yourself to try not to think about the color, but you see color. But the moment we say, hey, I'm colorblind, I don't see color, is the moment you devalue everything about my story. You devalue my culture. You devalue my tradition. You devalue who I am. You devalue the very color God made me. And if God made me a certain color, that color is beautiful. Don't say, don't say I don't see color. Yes, you do. Number three, number three. Build diversity on your staff and volunteer teams. Now, I speak that on two levels. I think you know that a lot of churches are going to be taking this book and we're providing the children's ministry curriculum free, the student ministry curriculum free. We're providing it all for churches to go through this series. So I want to look at the pastor out there and say, hey, if you want to build a multi-ethnic church, you need to think very, very carefully about where you put people in positions of leadership. You want to think about the images you put on written materials or on your screens And you want to build diversity on your volunteer teams in leadership positions. And this is one, if I can just be real transparent and vulnerable for a moment, this is one in which I'm constantly praying and hoping that our church can actually build more diversity on our staff team. We have it. We've had it from day one, but we're trying to build more of it. But what you need to know is it's hard to find great staff today. It's really, really hard to find great staff. And another problem that I find is, you know, I'm, I'm wanting to get women on this stage teaching. Can I get an amen for people who believe in women? African-Americans, Latinas. But what I find even with African-Americans is sometimes they get a lot of pressure from their church, i.e. the all-black church. They get a lot of pressure to stay in an all-black church. And it gives me a chance, I didn't say this last celebration, but I feel this need to just say this right now. It gives me a chance to say to all of our African-American brothers and sisters, thank you for saying, you know what? I'm gonna go be a part of a multi-ethnic church. 
I'm going to actually, I'm going to actually do life with people of all stripes. Build diversity on your staff and volunteer teams. Here's, here's one. Develop some guts and grit. Listen, if you're going to be a part of a church that takes a stand on this issue, listen, times will get hard. Arrows will come. I asked you earlier, I ask you again, pray for me. I take a lot of hits over this one. But here's what I've decided. I'm going to follow Jesus on this one. I'm going to fix my gaze on Christ who fixed his gaze on the cross and I will not turn back. So develop some guts and some grit. You know what grit is? Grit is perseverance over a long period of time. It's unfortunate, but we aren't going to get out of this in America overnight. I wish we could, but we can't. And this issue of being a unified, diverse church is not for the faint of heart. This is a battle that unfortunately takes time. And in the words of the old African-American spiritual, we shall overcome. But then it says this, you know this? What's the next word? Someday. We shall overcome someday. It takes time. But here's, here's the good news. The good news is we aren't where we used to be. The bad news is we still got a long way to go. And King said this quote. It wasn't King who said this, by the way. It was, a, it was a pastor that goes all the way back to the 18th century, but you've probably heard this. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice, grit. And here's the last thing. We're going to sing about it. Celebrate the unified diversity God is creating in the New Hope family. In other words, talk about it. Celebrate it in the right kind of way. Be proud of the fact that God is growing a church that is leading the way in the nation in terms of diversity. Come home. The number one thing we hear when people come to this church that they love the most is what we look like. Look around. This is the family of God. Celebrate it. Talk about it. Invite people to church. And when you do, know that we are living out God's will, God's plan. This is not just something that I'm passionate about, though I am, but I'm passionate about it because God's passionate about it. This is not just something we want to do so we can be prideful about. No, no, no. This is God's intention. I get that from this verse right here. Ephesians 3, 10 and 11. Let's end with this passage of scripture. His, what's that word? His intent. Come on, let's read it. Was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is God's intention. Let me speak it plainly. That the world 
even other churches would look at churches like ours and see the manifold wisdom of God radiating out from a family, a family that has one bloodline, if you will, and that is the bloodline of Jesus Christ, that we have all been saved and redeemed by his blood, and that makes us unique, diverse, but unified in Jesus. Hey, I hate to tell you this. Some of you aren't really sure you're agreeing with what I'm saying. Some of you, some of you aren't sure about this whole diversity thing, but you, you're, you're a Christian. I want to tell you something. If you don't like diversity, you're going to hate heaven. <laughs> in fact, I want us to actually end with a passage in the last book of the Bible. It's the book of Revelation. And I'm going to invite you in this moment, because then we're going to sing about it. I'm going to invite you to stand where you are in honor of God's word today. And I want to show you how the last book of the Bible actually starts to paint a picture of what heaven is going to be like. And so when you really think about it, being a part of a racially diverse church is warm up for heaven. It's like this is a, this is a dress rehearsal for heaven. What we do on Sundays and throughout the week. And last week I had you read a creed with me at the end of the worship celebration and you belted it out like churches should declare creeds. Well done. Today though, I wanna invite you to belt out just like that a heavenly vision that God has laid out in his word for what heaven is going to be like. Pay close attention to the words. If you're ready for the word of the Lord, let me hear you say, bring it. Bring it. Revelation 7, here we go. Nine and following, ready? After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Listen, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Let's continue. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen. Stop right there. Saying amen. You know what amen means? It is so. It is so, or so be it. You're exactly right. So, so John, who wrote the gospel of John, also wrote the book of Revelation, the word of the Lord says in the very last chapter, when we get to heaven, all nations are going to be there. All tribes, all tongues. He says, amen. So be it. Let's continue. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Let's continue. Come on, keep it going. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white 
in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That. In this moment, I'm thinking of the Lord's prayer. The Lord's prayer that thy will be done. What? On earth as it is in a church. You're a part of God bringing heaven to earth. New hope. Yeah, you, yeah, you, you could celebrate that. New hope. New hope. In this area. In this area. God is using you. He's using me. He's using us to paint a picture of what heaven is going to be like. May he receive all the glory and the honor and the fame and the praise that is due his name. Amen. Amen. Father God, we love you today. We thank you for what you're doing in this church. I thank you, God, that this is a people who love what you are doing in this area in our church. Father, we humble ourselves before you and we give you all the glory. This is a God thing. God, you have brought forth a picture of what heaven looks like in and through this church. God, every single Sunday, we get a taste of heaven at New Hope. But God, I pray that we would not get prideful in that. I pray that we would not believe that we have arrived. In fact, oh God, I pray that we would start to live deeper, more faithful lives that are multi-ethnic. God, that our deepest friendships would be with people who are different from us, Lord God, that we would gather around dinner tables together, that we would have birthday parties together, that we would not just do this on Sunday, God, but it would be a very much a part of who we are day in and day out. And God, as we continue to pursue that unified diversity, we pray that you would continue to draw more and more people that together, oh God, we would see heaven draw near until we see you face to face and we gather around that throne one day and we celebrate all praise and honor and strength and glory and holiness be to our God now and forever. Amen and amen and amen.